just want to be up front with everybody this morning. Um, Megan is like 38 weeks pregnant, so we're well within the splash zone. At any time, it might happen. If she gives me the sign, I'm just out of here. So you guys can finish up on your own. We love you, but, you know, we have been praying that we would make it this far, and we have, and so another 30 minutes or so would be great. Um, I know Dave... Sadler's here, and uh, the story of his last child is unbelievable. So um, if you want to know how quickly a child can come, just uh, talk to Dave and Wendy uh, after church. Um, Anyways, it's good to be here this morning. Um, It's good to be looking at the Word. Randy last week preached a part one sermon. Um, If you're looking for part two, I guess this is it. There's probably not going to be a real part two. Um, So we are a little bit uh, not quite in sync um, as probably he wanted me to be. but um, So if you're coming back looking later, what happened to part two? This is the best you're going to get. Um, anyway, if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 25, verse 12. If you can see in your worship folder, we've got about a chapter and a half to cover this morning, which is a lot, so I'm going to ask you to, to stay seated um, as we uh, look over uh, God's word together. Um, but if you would, uh, let's pray together. Father God, we we ask that you would be present here with us this morning. God, that as we open your word, that you would speak truth into our lives, that you would um, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. God, that you would do your work um, through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 25, this is going to be actually verse 13 um, through, it's the end of 26, we're going to stop and break a little bit, so... Um, Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix, and when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul accused, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. There, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definitive to write to my lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. 
For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So just to kind of summarize what we've read so far, um, Paul is, is, has been brought to Festus. And Festus is, is, is going over what he is seeing as a minor religious dispute. And, and what he's doing, Paul has appealed to Caesar, that's his right as a Roman citizen, to have a trial before the emperor. Okay, that's his, that's his right. He's appealed to Caesar, but Festus is going to send him to Caesar, but he honestly doesn't know what to say about this man. He doesn't understand the religious um, dispute that's come up between Paul and the Jews, and he's quite frank about that with Agrippa. Now, Agrippa is a little bit different. He's the king of the Jews. He's the, the son of um, Agrippa I, who was the one that had James beheaded in Jerusalem. Um, he's in the line, the, the Herod line, the, these kings of Jerusalem that Rome had, had chosen someone from their own people to, to lord over them. Um, he's from the line of Herod that, that had, um, that had the, the infants killed when uh, Jesus was a baby. So he's familiar with the religion of the Jews in a way that Festus is not. Okay, and so Festus, he wants to hear what Paul has to say. He's very um, interested in Paul. We see later that he's not actually, he doesn't become um, upset. He's not like one of these, the Jewish leaders that brought Paul originally to trial. We tell that because he's, he's intrigued and he wants to give Paul a chance to speak on his own. We actually see at the end of 26 that he, he even says, you know what, this man is innocent. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could just let him go. Okay, so even the words that Paul is going to say to Agrippa are not enough um, to make him upset. So, so here he's having, um, he's coming before Festus. Festus is looking for official charges. He's got to write a letter to send with him. He doesn't know what to put down. Uh, Agrippa wants to hear. He wants to see what exactly Paul is up to. Um, and so they are both looking for answers to questions. Okay, uh, Festus is looking. What am I going to charge him with? Agrippa is trying to figure out what this whole fuss is between Paul and the Jews, and he himself is interested in Christianity to the point where he wants to give Paul a fair share, a fair trial. As we know from Scripture, nothing is an accident or a coincidence. Um, it's not just by happenstance that, that God had brought Agrippa here before, um, before Paul. Um, but what we see is that, is that Paul is going to have this incredible opportunity to share the gospel before these great rulers and authorities um, of men. So let's look again. We're going to continue. This is chapter 26 of Acts. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you're familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our own religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? 
I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem, not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what comes from the prophets and Moses and would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim the light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is deriving, is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Okay, that's a lot of information right there. Paul is, again, he's making his defense, and he is speaking in front of a king and a Roman governor, and it... And according to these, these great uh, military tribunes and the great men of the city. And he's coming before them and the style in which he is, is speaking to them is, um, is very deferential. He keeps referring to them, oh great king and don't you know the prophets. And he's saying these words that are going to kind of win and persuade them to his side. Now there's other ways to speak in front of authorities as well as Christians have done in the past. Um, the great Scottish reformer, John Knox, was completely the opposite of Paul. This is what Knox did. Um, there was Mary, Queen of Scots, and she had married a young new prince, and his name was Prince Darnley. 
Okay, he was young and very effeminate. No one really liked him. Um, but he was Protestant, and so he came to the church that John Knox was preaching at, and they brought in this special throne, and they placed it right in front of Knox. Okay, the preacher, right in front of him. So what did Knox do? This is what he did. He preached for an hour longer than usual. Okay, one hour longer than he normally did. He spoke specifically against the wickedness of, of boy princes, and he called this man's new wife Queen Jezebel. Okay? This is not a way to get on someone's good side. Uh, Prince Darnley was so upset that he went home, he stormed out of the church, he refused dinner that night, and he had to comfort himself with an evening of falconry. Okay, that's one way to, to stand before the authorities. Now, Knox was not someone that anyone would accuse of, being, of having tact or gentleness. And when he preached, he preached like it was. And if you were sitting right there, he's going to preach right there at you. They brought these people before him. There's one woman that was accused of witchcraft, and they had her chained right here to a, to a column. And he preached against the sin of witchcraft while she was there chained. And at the end of the service, they took her out and burned her. That's not what Paul does, if we notice. Now, Knox, he was a man of faith. He's one of the very influential uh, Protestant reformers, but that's not at all how Paul acts. Now, Paul is more like, um, this has happened recently. Okay, uh, the National Prayer Breakfast um, in t- 2012, there's a man named Eric Metaxas. Uh, he's an author of, he wrote a, an, a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a biography on William Wilberforce. Um, these are incredible books. He's a scholar. He's an author. And he's at the National Prayer Breakfast. He's up standing on a table. And out in the audience are 4,000 people. And at the table that he is speaking from are sitting to his right, President Obama. To his left, Vice President Biden. And to, his le- to Biden's left is uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Okay, quite an influential group of people, if you would. And as he's speaking, during his speech, he is referring, he, he, calls, he calls to mind Bonhoeffer and Wilberforce, and he's talking about the way that they were able to see things that no one else in their time saw. That Bonhoeffer saw the persecution of Jews and the slaughter by Hitler, and he understood that it was wrong. And he says that God opened his eyes to see that. And talking about William Wilberforce, he says that, and this is the time of slavery throughout the uh, British Empire. And he said that God opened Wilberforce's eyes to see that it was wrong and evil to condone slavery. And Wilberforce worked against that um, to the point where every slave in the, in the British Empire was emancipated because of the work of William Wilberforce. Then he goes on to say, and it is in our generation that God is opening the eyes to protect the rights of the unborn. And he is speaking within 20 feet of the leaders of a party that oppose the rights of the unborn. It's unbelievable. If you have a chance, go watch his message. It's on YouTube. It's online. The way that he talks, the boldness, but the deferential ability of his speaking is, is unbelievable. And he talks specifically about speaking with dignity and respect to those that oppose your views so that in turn they will show you dignity and respect. And when he finishes his speech, the first ones to get up, of course, President Obama shakes his hand, Vice President Joe Biden, um, and he says to them, God bless you. Okay? 
One way to go before the authorities. Now, that was not an official trial. What we're seeing here as well is that Paul is not actually on trial. This is not an official trial, but what it is is a trial of faith. Okay, this is not official. Anything that he says here is not, it it doesn't really mean anything. They're not going to let him go. They already know his fate. He's going to go to Caesar. And yet he has this incredible opportunity as, as what happens with most trials of faith, it's kind of a spontaneous, spur-of-the-moment thing where he gets the opportunity to share the gospel with people that are actually his enemies. It's unbelievable. This incredible dichotomy uh, between the people like Knox and those like Metaxas and Paul. Now, of course, there's times when we speak boldly. There's times when we must uh, speak loudly, when we must even confront. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 10, 16, to, he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He says, so be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. So understanding and knowing when the time is to speak up and when it's time to show um, some, some grace. I think Paul understands that perfectly. So we're going to answer some questions this morning. Paul's going to answer some questions specifically. Who are you? Okay, Festus and Agrippa both want to know, who are you? What, what have you done? Why are you here? Why are you here? They still don't understand. And Paul is actually going to use his background as the means of presenting the gospel. And this is what he does. He's not afraid of his past, but he uses it as a bridge to his audience. Okay, he's not afraid of what he used to be. He actually speaks very candidly about who he was. He knows that he was a persecutor and, in his mind, a murderer of Christians. He was approving of the death of the people that he now loves and calls his own people. But he uses that as a bridge to his audience, specifically as a bridge to Agrippa. You know, he says, I understand you because I was you. you know, I know how and why you were thinking. And, you know, he's different now, but before he was the same as them. And what happens is that Paul had given, God had given Paul a new life. And in doing so, because he had been given a new life, he also gave his old life new meaning. See, what happens when we become believers is that God redeems us, but he redeems our past as well as our present and our future. God redeems our past and present and future, and he takes what we were and he puts it into a different light so that he can use it for himself. And the grace of God changes everything about us. So who was Paul? He used to be one of you, opposing the name of Jesus. He says Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus the Christ. He used to lock up saints. He voted for death. He punished and persecuted, following them to foreign cities. You know, Paul is not afraid of who he was. But so many of us today are afraid of our past lives. You know, we're, we're afraid that if people find out about us, if they find out what we really were like, they wouldn't like us anymore. You know, so some people, unfortunately, they, they flee. They try to run away from themselves. Which, if you know, like um, Jonah, that didn't work from him to run away from God. We also can't run away from who we are. You know, God, God works in our life, and he, he's going to work these things out in our life so that the undeniable evidence of God in my life is who I am versus who I used to be. Okay, that's, that's the great testimony of every Christian, is who I am versus who I used to be. You know, who I am is not who I was. And who I was is not who I am. The only explanation for how Paul became, went from being a persecutor of Christians to being a Christian himself 
is that he encountered the living and resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the only explanation that, he can, that, that, that makes any sense to anything. We see this example throughout all of history, and, and every believer has the same testimony. Um, the, there's a, a great um, British, uh, he's not a reformer, but his name is John Newton. Right? He wrote Amazing Grace. And what he did is he went from being a captain of a slave ship to God saved him out of that, called him to be a pastor, and in his work as a pastor, he was one of the influential voices in William Wilberforce's life to end slavery in the, in, in the British Empire. God called a slave captain to end slavery because of the work of Jesus in his life. That happens to all of us, that God calls us from places, and we see that God says, I've called you from the Jews and from the Gentiles to send you to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And a lot of times God uses our past and he uses where we were, and he saves us from that, but then he sends us right back there because we have experience because we know what it's like to be in their shoes, because they can see who we were and they see who we are. And they're so different that nothing makes sense except for Jesus in our lives. And this is the third time that, Paul explains his conver- that, that Paul's conversion is explained in Acts. Um, so Luke, this is the third retelling of it. Each time, is, it's just a little bit different. We learn some more about it. Um, specifically, this, this one talks about uh, Jesus is asking pa- Paul, why are you kicking against the goads? People have actually preached that this is kicking against the um, human anatomy. This is not about human anatomy, okay? This is not um, a reproductive organ that, that, that Jesus is talking about to Paul. And so what he's talking about, what a goad is, it's like a cattle prod that you stick down. It's a, it's a big stick, and that you kind of get the hoof of a, of, a, of a cattle, and when they are not obeying, you can kind of prod them along to go do what you want. What God is saying to Paul is, why are you fighting against me? I'm trying to lead you to a certain place, and yet you are fighting against where I'm trying to send you. And what Paul is trying to send him is he's, he's, he is actually trying to send him out, not to chase Christians, as Paul is doing, but to create Christians. And he says that I'm going to send you now back as an ambassador of me. He says, you're not going to do it by yourself. I'm going to do it with you, but I, you are going to be my ambassador. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.20. Paul writes this, and he writes this again out of this knowledge of what God has done in his life. 2 Corinthians 5.20, he says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul's ministry was a ministry of reconciliation. And, and what he's doing is he's bringing light into the darkness. It's a ministry of redemption, you know, of bringing beauty out of the ashes, of making sense of the mess of life, of reconciling a sinful man with a sinful God. That's the ministry that Paul has been given, and that's the ministry that he says all believers have been given, that now we are sent out as the ambassadors of God, that they might be reconciled to God. The funny thing, and Paul talks about bringing light into the darkness, the the Jews were the ones that believed that the Gentiles were made blind. They thought that the the people that weren't Jewish, that they had been been blinded. And what Paul does is, is he actually is blinded by Christ himself, and in this blindness, 
Jesus is telling him, it's not them that's blind, it's you. Okay, you are blind right along with them. Anyone who does not understand this message of Jesus is blind. So he says, you're going to take the light into the darkness. God took Paul's sight so that he could actually see for real. Um, If you turn back to 26, if you look at uh, Acts 26, if you look at 18... This is to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. The way that Paul's talking, uh, the language that he's using in Greek actually puts emphasis on the last word of a sentence. So he's talking and he's saying they would receive forgiveness of sins and a, faith, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How are they sanctified? How are they saved? It's through faith in Christ. And how does one obtain this forgiveness of sins? If you look at verse 20. That they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. We talked about Jonah a, a few minutes ago. What was Jonah's message to Nineveh? was to repent What was John the Baptist's message to Jerusalem and to Judea was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and so we have this ministry of repentance and we know that repentance is more than just simply saying that we're sorry. Um, I. Howard Marshall says this. He says, repentance denotes that the whole person with heart, mind, and soul is turned around from sin to service. Repentance for everyone, regardless of age, race, or nationality, marks a moral and religious orientation to a new way of life. So again, repentance is not not just asking forgiveness, but is a whole new way of life. Jesus says, so you will recognize them by their fruits. Paul explains the gospel. He lays it out. He connects with his audience um, he's deferential to, to the, the rulers and authorities that are with him. He speaks from his past. And then we see these responses to the gospel. And we get four responses here. Um, and we'll put them all with the same letter because that's just kind of how it works. So here's the four possible responses to the gospel, to Paul's message. The first one we saw from the Jewish leaders. And that was they called him a liar and they wanted to kill him. Okay, they accused him of lying. And they wanted to kill him. They heard everything that Paul had to say about Jesus. And they called him a liar. Then we have Festus. And it's really interesting. Festus kind of interrupts this argument that Paul is making. And he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. You're crazy. Look at what all your learning has done to you. Second response to the gospel is, you're crazy. You're a lunatic. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just out of your mind. The one I really find interesting, though, is is Agrippa's response. Agrippa responds to Paul, and he says, you were trying to make me a Christian in such a short amount of time. Agrippa is clearly not opposed to the things that he's hearing. He's not um, like one of these enemies that, that that just wants to kill him. But what he does is he kind of looks at his situation and goes, you know what, the time's too short. I can't believe that you would try to do this like right now. You know, we don't have near enough time. Come back. I'm, I'm interested. Maybe talk to me more about this later. So Agrippa says later. 
You know, the, the interesting thing is, of course, that we know from Scripture, we know from, from life, is that we're never promised later. When we hear the gospel for the first time, we don't always get that later chance to accept it and to believe. Yet so many people do. They hear it and they, and they keep hearing it and they hear it over and over and we, we kind of think, okay, later, later, maybe some other time. Now is not the time. That's what Agrippa was saying to Paul. The, the last response, and this is what we see from um, the church in Ephesus. This is what we see from Cornelius, from Paul himself, from millions and billions of other believers is that they say, I believe. And they call Christ as Lord. So if you're writing this down as liar, lunatic, later, and Lord. Okay. And they submit to Jesus as Lord, and we know that they have submitted to him as Lord because of the deeds of repentance in their life. Okay. So here's a couple closing thoughts. Again, God has redeemed not just my future and my present, but also my past. You know, God has saved, God has placed us and saved us from certain situations in order to send us oftentimes back to those places and situations. If you're in Christ, who you are is not who you were, and who you were is not who you are. Okay? That God can use everything in my life to bring him glory. That the most visible proof of Jesus are the actions of his followers. Sometimes it's a change in lifestyle because, because what we've seen is people have lived so opposed to the gospel. Other times, some... Some of us and myself, Jesus called me when I was six years old. People look at, your, at the contrast of your life and the life of the outside world. Such a change in life or the contrast in life are the most visible proofs that people can see of Christ in this earth. Again, trials can happen all the time. It's sort of what do we make out of these trials. Most trials are not going to be formal. We're not going to sit down and have the opportunity to speak before kings and authorities, most of us. Yet what happens is kind of like Randy was talking about last week with church planners. You know, when we're getting our hair cut, when we're at a party, when we're at work, we're in line at the post office or even in the grocery store, oftentimes we receive these opportunities from God to have sort of these trials of faith to explain who we are and what we do and what God has done in our life. We can either run from them, we can hide from them, or we can embrace them. Paul said to be ready in season and out of season, he wrote later. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says that, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. As a Christian, we're called to always be ready to stand trial for our faith. And quite honestly, we are always facing trials of faith. People look at the way that we live and the words that we speak, the way that we love our families, the way that we interact with our neighbors, and they are trying our faith every day. Finally, Paul's parting words. He says that all who might hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul has a great heart, not only for the, for the authorities and the rulers, but he also has a heart for the accusers. He loves those who are trying to kill him, and he wants to see them become, like him, a follower of Jesus. God has given the same mission to each and every one of his followers today. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that you have placed certain situations in our life to to try us, 
Lord, to give us opportunities to share our faith. Lord, we know that we are your ambassadors to a world that so desperately needs a Savior. Father, I pray that you would give us those opportunities, that you would prepare us for them, that you would speak from our mouths, that we could communicate the message of the gospel to the people that need it. Lord, as Christians today, we praise you and thank you for the incredible work that you've done in our lives. God, that who we are is not who we were. God, for, for unbelievers, we, we offer them the hope that they can be different as well. Lord, that you can come into their lives and change everything and make sense out of the mess that is life. Father, give us those opportunities to strengthen us for those moments of trial. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.